Hello, everyone. Welcome back into another episode of the MLS Bench Podcast. I am Joey, and today we're running a two-man crew. It's myself and Andres. Uh, we'll be breaking down all that there is to break down in MLS. There's so much uh, news to talk about, whether it be um, some storylines, some trends, uh, teams you know trending up, trending down, uh, a bunch of transfers, just so much to talk about. Uh, so, Andres, how are you doing? Excited to talk some MLS. Yeah, man, I'm good. There was a of interesting games and a bunch of interesting transfer news so plenty to talk about yeah yeah 100 percent. let's just dive right into it um really the first thing i want to talk about is just kind of hit on some of the major games of the weekend and like i said those major trend lines uh i'll start positive uh, on the positive trend first uh incidentally it is my team the philadelphia union uh pick up their third straight win uh a comeback 2-1 win over the new england revolution uh, really exciting stuff from a Phillies fan's perspective because, you know, th- there was a time in the not-too-recent past where when we went down 1-0 and it wasn't going our way, our, our way in this case being the Union's way, uh, it-, it just never ended up coming to fruition. And in this one, uh, that's just not the way it played out. The Union continued to fight and scrap. Um, you know, c- uh, key plays, especially from... Uh, our youngster Jack McGlynn coming in uh, in the midfield. I believe it was his first MLS start um, and putting in a masterclass, uh, delivering the ball that led to the penalty um, that ended up being the winner for the union uh, goals from uh, Mikel Ora and Daniel Gazdag four minutes apart. Um, Gazdag from the penalty spot uh, was the winner and man, Andres, I am super happy as a union fan um, and the union first in the East trending up. Uh, it's looking really, really good right now in Philadelphia. Yeah, and on the other side, there was a time when if the Revs went up one nothing, you could probably guarantee three points. And this that hasn't been the case this year. I think they lead the league in points given away from from winning positions. So just a total one eighty from from last year. Um, from the Philly side, I thought it was really interesting that uh, Jim Curtin came out in a four two three one. Um, they played pretty much exclusively 4-4-2 diamond um, the last few years and it was interesting to see that that's another tool that they have in their in their tool belt and like you mentioned Jack McGlynn uh, came in as a double pivot next to uh, Jose Martinez and he was really really good uh, pretty much throughout the whole game uh, and like you mentioned he not and it wasn't just that ball for for the penalty uh, he showed a lot with his with his left foot in general um, he had, he had, I believe he had a shot with his right as well that, that came close to being a goal. So, uh, impressive, uh, from McGlynn, really, really good from the union, rotating a little bit, playing a different formation and getting a, a win against a team that's, you know, scrapping for the playoffs, but has a lot of pedigree and pretty much put out their, their best 11, except for Andrew Farrell. So yeah, really good win for, for Philadelphia. I thought it was well fought. Um, and well-deserved. And, and quickly on McGlynn, um, just because I think this is a very important uh, story in his development, uh, anybody who caught me and caught the Scuff podcast uh, during the U20 uh, coverage, um, or if you guys have heard me talk about McGlynn on this podcast in the past, I'm absolutely in love with him and his left foot. It Honestly, and I, this is not hyperbole, I honestly believe this, 
if you look at the entire U.S. national team sphere, you know, incorporating the different age levels, if you look at the union um, as a team right now, he's probably one of the more technical players in, you know, both. But he's probably the most technical player on the union and one of the more technical players in the entire USMNT sphere. I don't say that as hyperbole. It, there's still stuff for him to work on on the physical side, but what he can do with the ball at his feet and with just, you know, a little bit of time and space to pick out a pass, there aren't many players that I've seen live who can hit passes like he can um, in the country, in this league. And if he's able to develop that physical side, we're talking about a national team caliber caliber player moving forward. And he's only, I think he just turned 19. So he is absolutely incredible one to watch for the future if he's able to develop those physical aspects like the endurance side like the physical strength side so that he doesn't get bodied off the ball during those you know moments of transition the challenges and stuff but man what he can do in terms of picking out a pass is absolutely uh phenomenal and andres um also to your point um about the four two three one the union showed last season that they were comfortable enough kind of at least what the flip of that midfield, the inverse of that midfield would be, which is the four three two one. Um and you know, it it would often be Gazdag and sometimes Paxson Aronson, uh Jamira Montero when it was Gazdag and Montero towards the end. Um and then that lone striker up top and then Flock, Bedoya and Martinez normally was that three line. And now showing that we can flip that and have it a little more attacking flock and a little more attacking role. It's certainly interesting um, just because it provides more options. I don't think this is going to be a permanent thing. I think once Ali Bedoya comes back in, it's going to be back to the 4-4-2 diamond that has proved successful. But definitely something to keep an eye on. Um, I think you're right about that. Do you have anything more in this game? Just that, you know, we we had a, not a criticism, but some concern about Michael Ura's production early on in the season and he's really turned it on here the last couple of weeks so even if you are playing that 4-4-2 with Carranza and Ura which is what, what I think they'll play mostly uh, just the fact that he seems to be settling in gaining some confidence um, you know it's a big it it's a big step forward for the union and for what they could potentially be going into the playoffs absolutely if you look at uh, Ura's you know goal contributions um, he really, since the injury, uh, that, you know, sidelined him for the, you know, most of the month of, uh, May, he, he's come back in style. And really since that international break in the start of, uh, you know, the end of June, beginning of July, uh, two goals, um, against that in that DC United route. And then a goal here, a couple goals along the way in between, um, you know, the, the or the end of May and the end of June. So just he's starting to find his form, starting to find those goals and a player that's still fitting in, um, hasn't been here that long. I think only probably three or four months he's been in the country. So, uh, excited to see what he can do moving forward. And certainly he's an asset and has showed in recent games, especially, um, that's basically all for that game. We're just going to kind of hit these really quick. Cause there's, you know, just so much to talk about. Uh, we talked about that three straight wins for Philly. Uh, for the Sounders, unfortunately, it is three straight losses. And again, not in the prettiest uh, for, uh, way that they did it. Um, a 1-0 loss in Chicago uh, to a fire team that are starting to find their footing, but are still um, you know, 12th place in the East as it stands. Andre- Andres, what was your take on this game, especially just because it never really came together? And honestly... 
I think the Fire, especially when they were in possession, were certainly the, the deserving winners of this game. And they had a few other chances. I think uh, Shabilko had a, a header that that was you know pretty clear on goal. Brian Gutierrez got in behind the defense at one point, and I think Stephen Cleveland it was in this game that had to make a a late. A, a, I think it was a kick save. Kind of the t- details are a little hazy right now, but I think Chicago had two or three chances to really be up two or three. Uh, on the Sounders and the Sounders, of course, you know, being being the Sounders and having the weapons that they have, uh, they they were always going to create some sort of chances. And Jordan Morris had a couple, but there wasn't a ton that you could look at and say, oh yeah, they just you know got unlucky. Um, they didn't create a ton of chances in this game. That's three in a row shutouts. Nashville and Portland. You could say that the Portland game was a little bit unlucky, but they've been lackluster since. Um, and we talked about margin of error with Seattle last week, and it just keeps getting slimmer and slimmer, and that, that playoff race is really tight. So uh, I think if you're Brian Schmetzer, you're taking a hard look at why it's so difficult to to create quality chances right now. Because, okay, Rui Diaz is out, but most of the starters are, are there, and the last game that they had a really good performance, they played with a rotated squad. So it's been a while since that, you know, best 11 on the Sounders really has a good game together. Yeah, I'm 100% with you. And I think, like, again, for me, that the conversation is really structured around, you know, margin of error. They're as as good a team as we know that they can be and has as they have shown, you know, in CCL and the roster itself should speak for itself. Um, But it just hasn't, you know, come to bear in, you know, really since CCL and, you know, more specifically, they've lost four out of their last five really since the end of June. It just hasn't been that pretty. It's been basically a month now of some underperformances uh, from them. And I think a lot of it is just we know how good they can be. So the question is why aren't they showing it? Um, and I, I think another crucial uh, point is that they're, they're caught up on their games. Unless I'm missing something, their points per game is now below the playoff line, right? They have the Galaxy in seventh place, who has one more one more point of them on the same amount of games played, and then Dallas, who's three points above them in sixth, uh, one more game played. So in terms of points per game, like they're below the playoff line or right at it. They don't They don't have the luxury of saying, oh, we have, I don't know, four games in hand. That's gone. Um, and, and for me... Even though I thought Morris played well, um, he he seems to be fine. I think um, a little rotation up top with Rudy Diaz. He's been injured recently, and it, you know some bright spots. I thought Steph Cleveland had a good game, but there's just enough disconnect right now when I don't think that there should be. That leaves me a little bit worried. Still, a team that I think could easily find their themselves comfortably above the playoff line at season's end, but there's just not enough time or there's going to be not enough time if they continue to dig themselves this hole i think that's andres that's the main point i think in this discussion yeah it's just not it's just not clicking is it right now and defensively it's not bad um but they're not really creating that many chances and they're having a little bit of trouble scoring goals and you know, a couple of weeks ago, it seemed like they were turning the corner and really clicking into gear, and it's kind of gone backwards since then. So, yeah, time time to 
time to turn it around. If you're Seattle, you're thinking you still have, what, 13 games? You should have enough talent. But every week we say the same thing. So, uh, you know, four, four, four or five more weeks of this, and it's going to be down to crunch time. On the Chicago side, I just want to give a quick shout-out to Ralph Shehos. He was excellent, both defensively and he scored the the winner here. I think it's not a player that, that gets a lot of love on you know many podcasts or gets a lot of headlines, um, but he was really, really good in this game and um, all credit to them. They played, you know, Chicago played really well throughout the throughout the whole game and, you know, I think they probably deserve to, to get the win here. Yeah, I, and I was going to mention Chicago. Uh, since the international break, they are uh, four out of seven wins. Um, the other three being losses, so it's not like they're uh, you know getting draws in there, but uh, they're starting to rebound from you know really the first what two three months that was just not it. Um, they're still in twelfth as we're as I was saying, but in terms of that you know drop off from you know them to you know last place or to you know the seventh place, which is the lowest playoff spot. It's only four points um, that they would have to climb to get back into the playoff spots. Not going to be easy. Some other good teams ahead of them that you might think would have a better shot, I guess, um, than the fire to, you know, sneak into the playoffs. But the possibility is there. And if you continue to um, have performances like they had in this game, which was pretty good in possession, at times really silky, uh, Gagas Lonina, another really, really, really solid game. Um, and yeah, uh, uh, the, the center back, I, I can't pronounce his name. Chihos. Chihos. What? Chihos. I, I, know, I know how to do it. I literally just watched the game. Uh, Chihos um, was absolutely phenomenal, um, you know, both defensively and that header. You know, I think Arlo White said looking like a striker. 100%, that's what it was. Uh, so all over the field, uh, Gutierrez was good as well, um, besides you know the one or two missed chances. Just it seems to be coming together a little bit, so I'm excited to see if they're able to, you know, start to pull it. Um, in in terms of, uh, you know, jumping up the table uh, as we get into the back half of the season. Um, again, uh, it, continuing that streak as you were uh, the streaks as you were saying. I guess we'll just jump into uh, the Rapids and the Galaxy. Um, Galaxy, we, we um kind of touched on in depth in the last pod, especially because of that um the Trafico and then uh, that loss to San Jose, and this is a, a pretty good opportunity to turn it around on the road against Colorado, a Colorado team that just hasn't, you know, been on, to- uh, been on top of their game, I think we could say, so far this season, at least compared to last year. They're 12th place right now, but um, they went into DSG Park and just didn't get the job done. Uh, a 2-0 loss, they looked okay at times some forays into the attacking third but Andres they just never got the job done and this starts to be pretty concerning if you're a Galaxy fan what's going on and I think I mentioned it maybe two or three months ago that they they were getting results some wins and some draws winning you know without scoring very many goals they were getting some nil nil draws they were winning games one nothing um, and they were struggling to to score goals, but still getting results. And here now, they're again. It seems like either they open up and really go for for scoring some goals, and then leave themselves vulnerable, which is what the Galaxy have been the last three or four years, or 
you know, they try to play more defensively and it doesn't really work out in here. Um, they they went back to a one-striker system uh, with Chicharito being out and they, they have a bad giveaway, which leads to one of the goals, with, to Jossi's goal. Um, and they, they struggled to really create any chances. So I think we go back to that discussion that we had last week about tactically, what's the best... The best way to to work uh, if you're Greg Vanny, and I think they're still struggling to figure that out. And if you're two thirds of the way into the season and are unsure what what tactically you want to be doing, that's a difficult position to be in. And if you're known for being vulnerable uh, in the back line, and now you're having trouble scoring goals as well, it's a it's a tough position. Luckily, they had a good start, so they're not in a terrible position in the table. But it's it's not real pretty right now, and I I don't think it's a real easy uh, situation to manage if you're Greg Vanny. I'm interested to get your thoughts on this lineup because we saw really two left backs on the field. Uh, in one of my apps, it has as a four four two. I was trying to kind of detect it as the game was going on, and I think that's a pretty good shout in terms of what it is. Um, you have uh. Sasha Kleshin and Rayon Ravellison in the middle, Efrain Alvarez, Kevin Cabral, Dejan uh, Jovalich, maybe Cabral and Jovalich kind of playing as like two strikers and Efra on the right. Uh, I don't 100% know what they were going for, but if you want to try and tackle this, it kind of does go back to your point about what's the best setup. I don't think that this is it, to be fair. Yeah, and it, well, what we mentioned with the four four two. The advantage was that you had Jovalich and Chicharito playing up top together. And in this case, Chicharito's out, so you play Cabral up top, sort of as a striker, sort of as a off, you know, off false nine slash winger. But he, you know, Cabral hasn't really been effective or productive really at any point this year or, or last season. And then you still have the issue with defensively, defensively when you turn it over, um, you have only two guys in the middle of the field. In this case, it's Kleshton and Ravellison, uh trying to cover for that. And, you know, Sasha Kleshton, I think, is a really great player. Um, still really good with the ball. Still has value to add to, to a team in the league. But that's not really, a you know, one of the two guys that you want tr- tracking back in the middle of the field. Um, Edwards has been really good, but coming more as a wing back or as a left back. Here he's playing left wing. It's 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 head scratching. Like I said, I think Vanny's still tinkering and trying to figure out what he wants to do. I'm surprised they don't they don't try maybe a three five two um, to get more more numbers in the midfield and keep the two strikers. Um, but then you worry about center back depth uh, with the Galaxy if you have to play three center backs. So yeah, I, I think another week goes by where it's not quite clear what the best setup is for the Galaxy. And I think. In many ways, Vanny's hand gets forced a little bit if Chicha is healthy and they have all those, you know, they have all the pieces, healthy, fit, whatever. That's a kind of a utopia that doesn't often exist in soccer. So, you know, good luck trying to have that be the case. But if if that is the case, or at least, you know, 90, 95% of it, um, then maybe it becomes a little easier, Chicharito starts, then you might have to make the call about Jovalich and the wingers, but then, you know, Raheem Edwards slots in, you know, you have um, Delgado, obviously, as a starter in there. But 
in this kind of, you know, 80% lineup where you have a lot of those starters in there, but, you know, having to rotate a little bit because, what is it, it's three games in eight days or something like that, um, th- then it becomes a little more difficult. And I'm not 100% sure that this was the right call. Like you said, three center backs, you worry about the depth. But in a one game, like a one-off scenario, if you just throw Koulibaly in there with uh, Depew and Williams, maybe it can work out and you can buy yourself some time. You know, uh, you have uh, Edwards and and Araujo on the uh, wingbacks. You know, maybe you can make something work there. But it just looked disconnected. And uh, you're welcome to kind of um, carry forward as we, uh, we talk about Colorado. What did you see about them that you liked in this game? And do you think that there could be any kind of a push from them because they, again, they're in 12th place for a team that was, you know, first place in the West and got a bye last year. It's a rather remarkable difference. So, so just to finish up on the galaxy, I'd like to see them try, like you mentioned, the three center backs, Williams, Depew and Koulibaly. And maybe Vanny doesn't feel confident in that, in that trio, but I think it could work with Edwards and Araujo playing wingback um, and then you could have like a Ravellison and Mark Delgado in the middle, tracking back and holding down the middle, co- providing some cover for the center backs. And then you could use a Kleshton and a Vasquez as that, you know, kind of point number 10 in that three of that, of the middle of the three, five, two. I'm not sure if that's, that's coming across with, with Joe Village and Chicharito up top. I think that'd be an interesting way to go about it. I think that, that covers up some of the 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 gaps that you're seeing. It, you'd have to have Edwards and Rahul be pretty disciplined about getting back. Um, but I think that that could potentially be um, a way to go forward. And then you got to see what you do with guys like Efra and Grantier and Cabral because there's not really a place in that lineup for them. So maybe you're using those guys as change pace off the bench type of guys. Um, with Colorado, it's kind of been one of those years where they haven't played particularly badly. It just seems like some results have gone against them uh, when maybe they deserved, you know, a draw. You know, they get a, a goal against them, kind of unluckily, or or they give away a, a goal to late. But it 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 just seems like it hasn't really quite worked. And trying to figure out how you play Rubio and and Jossie together at the same time. Um, but here's Here's a good performance. Here's maybe maybe one of those performances where you get a clean sheet, which has been difficult for them. Um, and you get a goal from Zardes, which maybe maybe gives him some confidence. Rubio has been pretty good all year. Um, maybe turn it around because I think there's enough talent. I think Robert Frazier is a good coach. They've been tinkering tactically throughout the season. So, you know, maybe here's an opportunity to, to get going a little bit. What do you think? Yeah, I'm kind of with that as well. I think Giassi getting that goal, also he had a goal called back, a powerful header um, that got called back for goalkeeper interference from an offside position um, that was just a few minutes after their opener. Uh, If you were able to get Giassi and Rubio, you know, working well together, that's key. I love Barrios. He's just an app. He's absolutely explosive. He's just, you know, so much fun to watch on the wing. Um, But it, it hasn't always turned into like, you know, really good attacking moments in front of goal. It's just kind of exciting and pace for pace sake at some time, like at some points in the season. And so yeah, we're, we are, we're not aligned on our, on Barrios. Oh, really? I, I mean, I, 
He's just Go a ahead, fun bro. player for me. I don't know. It just like yeah, the no, eye I agree. Candy. Right, and that's exactly my issue with him. I think you spelled it, you said it exactly right. Maybe maybe I just have less tolerance for it uh, because he's super pacey. Like you said, he gets in behind. He gets in a ton of dangerous positions, and it just seems like the end product is almost never there. So it's always either you know either a scuff shot or a bad decision to to cut back at the last second or or to cross or he just kind of gets to the end line so that's i i get what you're saying in terms of excitement but i for me it's it's frustrating if you're a rapids fan to see somebody and and before that dallas uh for the most part to see him get in such dangerous positions over and over and just nothing come of it almost ever yeah no i'm i'm kind of aligned with that like what i was saying is like it just needs to be more dangerous because often I'll get him behind and it's fun to watch, but eventually, like 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 you said, I'm in total agreement, like that excitement gets overshadowed by the fact that just nothing ever happens and you like to see goals and when it's not, you know, coming into goals, then eventually that tolerance wears a little thin. I think something that was also a little exciting to me if I were a Rapids fan is, you know, Jonathan Lewis. He looked good in the in this game. His assist for Zardes was really class. He has assists on uh, both the goals. If he's able to really start to get in, into his form, he's struggled at times to really, really find his way in kind of all of it. Uh, you know, not always starting last season. You know, now starting. Um, uh, you know, most of the games uh, this season, he needs to start to find those more consistent performances. Because in the way of goals and assists, it just really hasn't been there at all this season. Um, just from what I can see this season, it, it's three goals and it's two assists. You need a little more from a winger that's really supposed to bring that energy and you know those co- goal contributions. It just hasn't been there. So if they're able to get the the front three, you know, worked out, I think the back four and you know Brian Acosta, it, it, th- those kind of speak for itself. That'll be fine getting that front line, you know, working is going to be the key. Is that kind of your analysis as well? Yeah. Yeah. I think figuring out how to get the interplay between Rubio and, and Jossie going, um, and, and like you mentioned, and getting production out of those wingers. Um, Lewis, when he gets hot, he is as hot as anybody in the league. Um, but he's been inconsistent. And, um, I think that was, that's been kind of the, the book out on him going back to the Olympic qualifiers where, you know, that wasn't, it was, those weren't great performances. And he that's comes what in, I remember. Yeah. Yeah. You come into Colorado and he had, he had put up good numbers in, in not very many minutes in, in New York and Colorado, then the production wasn't there. That's kind of hot for a little bit and kind of goes away again. So finding that consistency from him, because I think he's got a ton of talent um, and then trying to find that interplay, which worked this weekend. Um, between Rubio and Zardes because Rubio and Zardes are both high quality players. Um, and if you can get them going together, then you're back to where you were last year, or at least you're, you're closer to where you were last year. Yeah, a hundred percent. And just looking at his game logs, I'm not sure if there's a game that he hasn't played in all season. So he's staying healthy. You know, he's, he's giving himself like he's making himself available for the team. It's just, when he gets in, what does he do? Is he able to actually function um, in terms of just that, that final product that you need as a winger, especially when you have those two strikers up top who we know are proven in the league, who we know can get you goals? 
it's just about that creation and getting more sustainable opportunities. Um, and you, so, you would have thought with when he was in New York that if he got 2,000 or 2,500 minutes, um, that the numbers were yeah. going to be there. And it seems like he's going to get there this year. So he's playing a ton of minutes. Um, so hopefully the production uh, comes comes along a little bit more consistently from him because I think he's yeah. a he's a fun player to watch. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. You know, started sixteen, um, has come off the bench in four other uh, games, so he's playing the minutes that you would expect. You know, a starting winger to get uh, just about production. So that's pretty good on that game. Uh, and just to recap on where those teams are, you know, the Rapids still a ton of work to do, twelfth place, but uh, similar, uh, even a little tighter than in the East. Only three points out of that uh, last playoff spot. So that's just absolutely wild. We have a 12th place team, you know, should be five places out of a playoff spot, only really a game out of it. It is, that's absolutely incredible. Um, and if you like MLS because you like the parody, this might be the year where that comes to bear, where, you know, maybe you have 10, 11 teams still fighting for a playoff spot on the final day. That could be absolutely uh, wild. Um, so I guess we'll move on uh, to really the only game that doesn't speak of a ton of trends, except for the fact that just FC Dallas can't hold a lead. Um, it's FC Dallas 1, Austin 1 in uh, Copa Tejas. Austin um, will walk out of the, uh, this season with that Copa Tejas trophy. Um, all those uh, Texas rivalries are all wrapped up at this point. Um, so Austin is king of Texas, but they didn't necessarily do it with three points. Andres, what did you kind of... Uh, take away from this game i thought dallas was good in stretches i thought austin was good in stretches a pretty even game overall uh, i think if you're a dallas you're super super disappointed with with this point uh they had at least two or three chances to put the game on two nothing sure. um and, and pretty much guarantee that those three points it was hot in texas um austin wasn't creating a ton of chances um and there was i think there was a two-on-one uh, pretty late in the game, a little bit before the before the Austin goal, where I think Ferreira's, you know, in on goal, he plays it over to, I forget if it was Franco Herrera at that point or who or who it was, maybe it was Alan Velasco, uh, yeah, Hara, and and it kind of it bounces off Gabrielson a little bit, maybe puts him off, um, but they don't, they end up not scoring the chance, and a little bit after that, Austin gets the equalizer, expected goals. Dallas had two and a half, almost. Austin was under one. Um, on Saturday, six teams out of the seven games, six six home teams won. The only one that didn't was Dallas, and they should have won that game. Um, credit to Austin. They've done what they've done all year, uh, which is when they play well, they win. When they don't really play well, they find a way to get a result, You know, whether it's stoppage time or, or near the end of the game. And... This was good enough to get a result. But I think in this case, and we'll talk Austin probably many other times because they're right at the top. I think the story is Dallas giving away leads and not putting away games. And, and you've got to be disappointed here um, if you're Nico Estevez and if you're FC Dallas. Yeah, 100%. And I think the real difference in this game and why I do, I think, if I w would have given a three points to a team uh, in this one, it would have definitely been Dallas. It's just because Austin's opportunities were mainly from like crosses that could have been, and they had presence in the box and it just, you know, nothing fell for them for Dallas. We're talking pretty clear cut opportunities where, you know, like you said on that Ferreira one, Ferreira could have taken it. 
he could have, uh, you know, the, the pass was there and Hara, you know, I think it was, got cut out by a defender coming in from behind and Stuver still made a great save. So, like, at the end of the day, you know, we're talking about, um, uh, like, real hard, clean-cut chances that Dallas didn't put away to make it 2-0. And Austin was able to get that uh, that lady, pretty late equalizer um, and give them uh, the, you know, just come out of there with a point. Uh, Tom Bogert, uh, our boy, has a, um, he calculated the points dropped and gained from winning positions. LAFC hasn't dropped a single point from winning position this year. They're number one and at the, almost the bottom of the table, tied for 27th place. FC Dallas have dropped 15 points um, uh, from winning positions. Only, uh, only just above the New England Revolution, who have dropped a whopping 24 points from winning positions so far this year. So, you know, for the Revs, we're talking about a team outside the playoff race at, at this uh, point in time, or outside the playoff spots. For Dallas, we're talking about a team who's sixth place and who's four points off a of third, right? Like, those points are really, really meaningful, and they've dropped 15 of them. Do you think that that kind of stems from anything major, or do you think that's just like they just haven't been able, one, one way or another, to hold a lead this year? It's hard to say that there's anything systematic about it. I mean, I think in this game, if Ferreira makes a slightly different decision and goes near post, um, you're talking about three points. And it's just those small margins and those small decisions. I can't say that I think Dallas has been, let's say, particularly weak defensively or or particularly bad on set pieces. Um, you know, they gave away a late lead to, to Houston last week. It was the latest goal I think scored in MLS history. So a little bit is a little bit is bad luck. A little bit is you know some bad decision making on the margins. Um, it's hard to, for me to say, okay, here's what's wrong. Why Dallas keeps giving up leads, um, but it's clearly been an issue, and it, and it might be a little bit psychological at this point when it happens over and over that you don't have that confidence that you're going to hold on to the end. So there may be a little bit of that going on, and like you said, there's six. Four points out of third, but they're also four points out of eleventh. Um, so those margins are super tight, and uh, you know, with Portland, Seattle, um, Colorado, potentially a couple teams below them that could, you know, have good second halves here, they might be ruining those points here come the end of the season. Almost certainly, they will one way or the other. You know, could it have given them a home game? You know, or maybe, maybe they'll be on the outside looking in. I don't think, uh, you know, all of our kind of, not Dallas negativity, but certainly our wanting more from Dallas um, should necessarily get in the way of that. You know, Brad Stuver came up with a couple saves on 1-0 that, you know, kept them in this game. He saved that, uh, that, I think it was Hara, who had that chance from Ferreira. Um, and, he, you know, he's been big for them all season and last season as well. Uh, Fagundes gets a nice goal. Uh, that, that was the equalizer on the 79th minute. Uh, Driussi with another assist for him. It's four straight games with a goal contribution. Um, you know, he's out playing out of his mind right now. So certainly some bright spots if you're Austin and obviously walking out of there with the Copa Tejas trophy. Um, it just for Dallas, you want a little more. And for Austin, you got to be thinking you're at least a little lucky that you ended up getting the win in this one. And I just quickly to touch up on Dallas before we move on. I'm not you know, so down on, like, the back line, or I think Poss has had a pretty good season so far. It's just, 
hasn't come together. There's no one real line underpinning it all. It's just it hasn't they haven't been able to hold a lead. And that really to their detriment, especially, you know, if you start playing that mental game and losing confidence um, as we get later in the season. But yeah, 1-1 between FC Dallas and Austin. Austin still, you know, riding pretty high. Second in the league, second in the West, um, one point off of first, uh, 41 points, and one uh, game played more than uh, LAFC, who are on uh, 42 points on 20 games. That's insane. Uh, So Austin, you know, still playing really good soccer, and FC Dallas, we said, have kind of fallen a little bit. They've been higher at points in the season, now down to sixth place. 29 points on 21 games, and like you said, it's crazy. Uh, only four points off of 11th, five points off of 12th. So, you know, they're still very much in that, you know, playoff battle. And that's basically all I have for at least just the games, like super big games this weekend. Nashville and LAFC could have been a talking point. Wasn't that exciting of a game. LAFC won at 2-1. Bale got his debut, didn't have a ton of touches on the ball even though his first one was uh, a pretty clean pass, uh, you know, a little behind the uh, back flick, but not too much to do for him, so not too much to talk about in that one. I think really the major storylines that we can touch on now in kind of the back half of this pod are the transfers, um, both incoming and outgoing, and we'll start with really the big news that broke after NYCFC's win over the New York Red Bulls in the Hudson River Derby. Tati Cassiano's getting the only goal in that one is... After this weekend, after their uh, game versus Inter-Miami on Saturday night, he is gone to Girona, um, which are under the ownership of City Football Group, the same group that owns both Manchester City, NYCFC, and a host of other clubs around the world. So what's your thoughts on this move to Girona, and you know what will this mean for NYCFC? This can be a long answer, but I think it's definitely worth it. Yeah, so I, I won't. I'll admit to not having watched a ton of Girona, um, but I think in terms of league, it's a good place for for Tati to go. He's going to play against good competition there. Um, I think he'll I think he'll do well at that level. And I think what City Football Group is is hoping for is that he performs there, and then they can find a permanent move for him after maybe a season in La Liga. Um, I think it's surprising that for whatever reason. Uh, the number never got hit that they were looking for. It seems like over and over we heard 15 million and it seemed like the bids weren't coming in. You know, I think they kept getting 12 or 13 or, you know, something like that. So City Football Group decided to make the decision to, rather than sell him now, to use use their club uh, tentacles that they have out there in the world to find him a spot at a in a competitive league. And I think... For Tati, it'll be a good move. I don't think he'll be at Girona for very long. Um, you know, maybe 18 months or so, or or, a season, or maybe two seasons at the most. Um, but, yeah, I think surprising that it worked out this way. It makes sense the way that City Football Group did it. And I think it's good for Tati. But I would have expected uh, somebody to come in and, and hit that 15 million number. Especially considering that, you know, Pepe got sold for 20 million and, and Tati's production uh, has been consistent over the course of a few years and he's not that much older he's only 23 in terms of what it means for nyc you know i think they're they're clearly a top two or three team 
um, especially in the East and probably in the league, uh, in, even without Tati. And I think, you know, there's not going to be any risk of them not making the playoffs or not even not hosting a home game. But I think it does bring down that prohibitive favorite title that I think we, we would have put on them, maybe co-favorite with LAFC at this point. Um, we'll see how they decide to play this. I think Eber will probably get the majority of the minutes. Maybe Talis Magno will move um, to that nine and they'll bring in Andrade or, or Pereira into the wing position where Magno's been playing. Um, but, but again, here we are with margin of error. Talking about Seattle previously, I think this significantly brings down New York's margin of error, not because they don't have the talent, but because Tati was so proven um, and such a good, he had become such a good leader on that team that it it, it will hurt. I think that's going to hurt them quite a bit. Um, I think they'll still be pretty good. Or I think they'll still be really good, but um, the ceilings definitely come down on them. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think the ceiling is, that's the key. Like they, at their best, they were the best team in the league, right? If, if they're hitting their stride 100% of what they can do, I think that they're, they're MLS, MLS Cup winners. What, what did you say? Yeah, I mean, they were MLS Cup winners last year, and you would say, I think they've gotten better. Well, prior to the Dahlia leaving in this latest kind of couple weeks run, I think they were better this year than last year. Um, and their young guys, Magno, Santi, um, had taken another step forward. So I would have definitely put them either 1 or 1A one MLS Cup favorites. I think that's the key is like those youngsters taking the step forward were the reason why, you know, we could have this hope. And also like you know, we, we were talking about Champions League so much as, you know, a, a key factor in this all, you know, post that Champions League draw in the second leg that was essentially a loss uh, to Seattle and knocked them out in the middle of April. They hadn't lost until Red Bulls and Open Cup and then Union um, on the 26th of June. They went two months, two straight months consecutively without losing a single game. That's insane to think about. And um, since that loss to the Union, they also they haven't lost since two draws and then three straight wins. So, like, they're an insane team. Um, and really, if you look at post-CCL, they're the best team in the league, I think. So, that in and of itself is amazing and why I think we could say with almost 100% certainty, this is a team that needs to be challenging for the cup. That should be the priority. Shield, maybe, um, you know, they're a little bit off the mark so far, but, you know, they're they're only four points really out of first place in the Shield standings too. So, like, anything's, you know, uh, possible for this team. I think if we look at their ceiling, it, it takes a hit. It took a hit with, when Dilo left. It takes a hit now when Tati's gone. I think they'll be fine. I think Magno would work well up top. We know that Andrade and Pereira are, you know, more than capable. Um, I, I think just the issue is Tati's movement and the positions that he got himself in didn't really overperform his G minus XG or his X place or whatever, you know, stats you want to bring up, but just the positions that he got himself in were valuable in and of himself. Like uh, Tom Bo put out uh, that tweet, you know, he has one more game left. 108 matches he's played in MLS, 50 goals, 19 assists, a golden boot, and an MLS cup. So, you know, 
a goal every two games, you know, a goal contribution, um, you know, less than uh, one goal contribution in less than every two games. Like that's insane to think about. Um, a great player. And I, I just, I do want to get your thoughts quickly. I don't want to say that they took the easy road, but I have to imagine that someone was willing to spend 15 million on a player like this. Do you think that it was just an ease of access thing going to Girona? Cause I feel like, you know, I, I think it's a fine league. You know, La Liga is obviously a good league, but you know, could he have gone to a higher profile team? Cause you know, there were rumors that there were higher profile teams interested. So <clears throat> just real quick on those numbers that you put out, we should probably remember the first couple of years with Tati weren't very productive in, term, in terms of goal contributions. No. So yeah. a lot of those numbers are in the last, what, two, two seasons and a half, maybe sure. 2020 yeah. coming through. So it's been even better than the rates that you, that you mentioned here recently. And it's not recently in terms of six weeks. It's recently in, in two, two, two plus seasons. So yeah, super, super high production since he turned it on. Um, I think, so I think you're right, or, or that's what's surprising for me is, is that you would have thought I would, I would have expected 15 million to get hit. Um, but they were probably trying to move him. Or we think they were trying to move him already in the winter. Um, it seems like the, the bid never came. Um, and Dyla was able to convince Tati to, you know, not really make a huge push to leave in order to make a CCL run. Um, and it's this is another transfer window now it's a summer window when most teams are spending money um and and it didn't get hit again um so i think city football group you may you may call it ease of access with with girona but i think they also wanted to do right by the player um and i think tati got to the point where it was he was ready to move um and get a new challenge and i think city football group sees it as an investment that they can they can probably sell him for a higher a higher fee if he proves himself in, in La Liga over the next, you know, 12 to 18 months. So, yeah, maybe a little bit of easy road, but it seems for whatever reason that the bids weren't weren't coming in. And <clears throat> I think it's it's not a bad idea to do right by the player. I I don't love players leaving with 12 games left in the season when you can go for another MLS Cup, but I I understand where it's coming from and 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 I I I can see why both player and club uh, made the decision. I think that's like just the blessing and the curse when you have a, a league that starts, you know, at the end of the winter and goes through the summer and in the fall, which is kind of like the flip of, um, you know, the European leagues where it starts in the summer. Now is the time if he wants to get in and really get a full season in La Liga, get with the, his team and develop that chemistry. So I understand why he's leaving. And I think it was a good point. Like in the last two seasons, last year he played essentially 3,000 minutes, 19 goals. This year, basically 1,600 minutes, 13 goals already. Like he's putting in the numbers. And and I think we're just talking. I, I was looking it up. Just That's last season and this season. Um, and, and that's only uh, the regular season. Um, so he had some contributions in the playoffs, scored in the uh, MLS Cup final last year. So, like you mentioned, the last really two years has been the push for him um, with this club. But his contributions aren't going to be forgotten anytime soon. He's going to have his name down as one of the better strikers, but one of the better young strikers to ever come through this league. And, you know, 
regardless of what the transfer fee is, it's going to be something that's going to be up there in terms of the transfer fees all time in MLS. Really, he probably should have gone for the highest ever, and that was the rumor, and that never came to fruition, it doesn't seem. But hey, you know, at the end of the day, we're still probably talking over $10 million transfer fee, um, or what the equivalent would be within City Football Group. So uh, at the end of the day, it'll be fine, and NYCFC will get a good amount of money for their best player. It'll, it'll just hurt moving forward for them without him. Um, I, I still have them as one of my favorites for the Cup, but maybe they were favorites, and I definitely won't say that they're the out-and-out favorites anymore. We look at LAFC as well. Um, as It was one of those teams that's up there, and I think now without Tati makes it a lot harder for them. So yeah, that's basically our stuff on Tati. Maybe we'll touch on this if he has some crazy thing happen to him next uh, next weekend um, versus Inter Miami uh, as he has his final game uh, before he departs for Girona. Can we talk Red Bulls real quick? Yeah, go ahead. Just to finish up on Hudson River Derby, um, yeah. I think Red Bulls have an issue at number nine or at striker. Um, yeah, they basically don't have one, and. I talked. We talked about this a few months ago about where the goals were going to come from consistently for Red Bulls, and pretty much it's been Luquinhas and Lewis Morgan um, doing the scoring with some set piece goals here from Aaron Long here or there. Um, but they played with Omir Fernandez here at uh, at the number nine or as a false nine uh, for this game. Um, Klamala's barely getting any minutes coming off the bench. Um, Ashley Fletcher hasn't dressed for for quite a while. Um, he's gone really... now. He's back in England. Okay, yeah. So he, I missed that. That I haven't seen him play for a while. So it makes sense that he's been gone. Um, they they brought Barlow on in the second half, uh, but he hasn't really been scoring scoring a whole lot. So it's um it's an issue. It's been an issue. It's it's getting worse rather than better for them, um, and it's unfortunate because. I, I like a lot of what they do without the ball, putting, you know, they don't possess a ton, they press, um, but it's difficult when you don't put the ball in the back of the net and you don't have that consistent guy to go to. So they're still solidly above the line. Um, we mentioned how competitive the Eastern Conference is, and if you're pressing so much and if you're using up all that energy and you don't have a way to score goals consistently, um, I'd be somewhat uh, concerned if I'm a Red Bull fan about what the last 10 games or so looks like. Yeah. Uh, and just, there's an observation there. No, I, I think it's 100% legitimate. And I, I saw some tweets about that, essentially. Clamala seeing the bench again. Um, and, you know, that defense is still a good defense. They've let in two a couple times and only three once this season. Incidentally, that three, the three goals that they let in wasn't actually in a draw. I think it was against uh, Inter-Miami. So, or it was against uh, the Chicago Fire, rather. So, you know, we're talking about a team that still basically is keeping those defensive accolades. Maybe not quite as good as last season, but still, it's it, they're one of the better defenses in the league, both in, in the names that they're putting out and in the actual performances. And we look at the youngsters like John Tolkien, um, who, who's killing it so far this season. And then Aaron Long, obviously not a youngster, but, you know, a, a stalwart. Uh, and hopefully he's able to continue to make that recovery. Uh, Tom Edwards, Sean Nealis, Dylan Nealis. Like, we're talking about good names and players who have performed this season. The issue is just like attacking wise, right? You know, they had the ball for and they really controlled the first half 
maybe as much as you could control a half against NYCFC, and they never... I mean, they threatened, but they didn't really threaten in the way that you would hope um, if you have, you know, as much possession as they did in the first half. I think it was... Um, or sorry, NYCFC dominated possession in the first half, but uh, Red Bulls had the you know the, the better chances, and they just didn't put it away. So, you know, I, I'm with you, and that's a good observation that um, I wasn't going to make about uh, that number nine. We'll see what they have moving forward. Um, they play Austin uh, this coming weekend, and then have that Open Cup was it is semifinal at this point um, versus Orlando City in the midweek. So. You know, time's a ticking for them, and you know, thankfully, uh, for if you're an NYC or Red Bulls fan, rather, sorry, you're still fifth in the league as a whole, third in the East, so you have that margin of error build up. But you know, you want to see a little more um, if you're going to challenge for the cup. So, kind of moving past those New York teams, we kind of hit on that pretty well. Hudson River Derby um, went to NYCFC in this one, by the way, one nil. I I think this might be the least talked about, but potentially the biggest story in the league right now, which is Cucho Hernandez coming in from Watford, really was under the radar in a way that I thought was unfair. We're talking about a player who, you know, had played quite a bit for a Premier League team last year, coming into uh, Columbus, who kind of, you know, were kind of in the void looking for a striker. Barry wasn't quite working out, or Tato still wasn't getting the minutes that they wanted, and Sardis was shipped off. He comes in and uh, four goals in three games. That's pretty incredible. Um, and I'm not sure has got much attention on the national level. He scored in the Hell is Real Derby um, as Columbus won at two nil against Cincinnati at home. So he's on fire. What do you have on uh, Cucho Hernandez, Andres? Yeah. So obviously a super um, hot start right to his MLS career. This is his first start. Um, gets the Flick on header, kind of ridiculous header to the back post uh, off of Seller Royan. Um, and I, I think, you know, it's hard not to see glimpses of Joseph Martinez. You know, physically, they kind of, you know, walk around the pitch with the same sort of demeanor. He attacks the back line sort of in the same way that Joseph did coming into the league, maybe a little bit less direct. Um, but from, from Columbus' side, um, we talked a few weeks ago about what sort of how they were going to play with Cucho, were they going to try to run two strikers with Miguel Berry out there and, and, or what, what sort of tactical adjustments they were going to, they were going to make to, to adjust to the signing. Um, and, you know, they weren't, they weren't shy about trading Miguel Berry. Um, clearly they're going to play with Cucho up front by himself uh, with two wingers. And the way that they lined up this weekend was, I mean, I, I, is exactly what I would have wanted to see from Columbus with Aiden Morris and Darlington Nagmi in front of the back line. Um, Zella Rayan pulling all the strings, two wingers, Etienne and Diaz to stretch the defense out wide, um, and then Cucho up front to attack the back line. I think that's you know super solidly, so super solid in the in the middle of the park with with those guys uh, with Nagmi and Morris, and it gives them options going forward. So Columbus is getting healthier. Um, they're missing Artur still, and it'll be interesting to see how they integrate him when he comes back. But Cucho firing, Zellerian playing well and healthy. Um, this is what, you know, close to what we would have wanted to see from them coming off of MLS Cup a year and a half ago, almost two now. So, yeah, 
uh, exciting and now they're above the line and I think they've got a bunch of home games coming up so I am I am bullish on Columbus going forward and it's been that way for a few weeks I, I, you started seeing signs a few weeks ago that they were turning it around yeah um I think that turnaround was basically shown in its completion in this game maybe uh, I caught the end of this game but they were dominating the end and, you know, from what I was able to kind of glean, uh, they really dominated all the way through this game. Um, didn't have too many moments where they didn't look in control. Possession was very much in their favor. Uh, you know, the, the chances were very much in their favor. And, you know, when you have Hernandez, when you have Zellerian balling, um, and kind of everything else falling into place, you know, Aiden Morrison, Darlington Nagby, not a bad double pivot. Like, like we talk about Artur coming back, but... Aiden Morris, you know, MLS Cup Aiden Morris, and then tearing his ACL the very, uh, was it one of the first games the next season, kind of uh, left us with a bad taste in our mouth. But what he what he showed in that MLS Cup was insane, I think, from a 19-year-old. What he's able to do now is ex- extremely impressive in his, you know, recovery. He looks good. And if he's really able to be that third option in the midfield, you know, if they want to play three in the midfield, if they want to, you know, rotate in that double pivot with Nagby and Artur as well, you know, it, so many options for them. Um, and they're in the playoffs uh, as it stands right now. Uh, they're in sixth place on 29 points. FC Cincinnati's on seventh in seventh place on 27 points. So again, razor thin margins in the East and in the West in those, you know, lower playoff spots, but both Ohio teams are in as it stands. Um, we, we've kind of, you know, given Columbus their due and her and Cucho Hernandez, his deal, uh, his due, the entire team is playing very well, but what do you have on FC Cincinnati? Yeah. So this was, it's, it was tough, right? They, they had a Costa out for suspension after the, the headbutt to the chest of, of Long the previous week. Um, I think he's still got another game after this one out. Uh, they also rotated out some of their center backs. Uh, so they played with with four in the back rather than than the three that they've been mostly playing with. So it was it was sort of rotated, not not exactly their sh- strongest lineup playing away to to a pretty good Columbus team at this point. So it was always a, a tough matchup. But I think if you're Cincinnati, you know you clearly overperformed the first half of the season. Um, and the last couple of weeks, uh, while the results haven't been terrible, uh, there's been there's been a few letdowns, right? A couple of draws where you probably deserved uh, a win. You, you look at that New York City crazy 4-4 game, then the Red Bull game, which was another draw. Vancouver was another draw. Um, this wasn't the greatest performance here from Cincinnati. So I, I wonder if some of that magic some of that overperformance is starting to wear a little bit. Um, and I, I hope not because I think it's been a really fun ride watching them. But this hasn't been, this wasn't a great performance from them um, with all the caveats that I spelled out. But it hasn't been great for a few weeks. So, yeah, I, a little bit worrisome. Hopefully they can get it back on track because it's been a fun story. But right now, not not great from Cincinnati. Yeah. I'm with you on that one. And since the international break, um, you know, coming back on June the 18th, it was a draw to the Union, beating Orlando City, and then uh, what is it? Uh, three sh- or sorry, four straight draws, and then this loss. So a ton of draws recently for them. 
And like you mentioned, some of those, you know, crazy circumstances, 4-4 versus NYCFC, um, a 1-1 draw versus the Red Bulls in which FC Cincinnati got two red cards at home, like just crazy stuff. Um, and so if this team's able to find a little more stability and, you know, I don't know if it has to be as crazy as it was in the first half of the season in which, you know, they really, really overperformed. They're, they're kind of settled in now as, you know, in that playoff hunt, they just need to basically keep the pace with all those other teams. And I think it's possible because when you have players like Brandon Vasquez up top, who's playing out of his mind right now and really this entire season and kind of that supporting cast, which is, you know, gotten better than last season it's not it's not crazy it's not amazing but it's better um that's kind of what's necessary for this team to sustain kind of that you know lower playoff team area because you know a wooden spoon favorite coming into the season it's still an overperformance um right now so happy to see that you know they're able to maintain that playoff position so far they just need to keep it up um, through 21 games on 27 points. So, you know, that's basically in line with all the other, you know, 8th, ninth, 10th, 11th place even. Um, so, you know, they still have a ton of work um, left. Uh, one before more topic. On, Go ahead. Yeah. Before we move on from Hell is Real, um, just a quick zoom out comment that I that I made, that I wanted to make that, while, that I was thinking about while watching the game on, on FS1. Um, the weather wasn't great, and but outside of that, um, when you look at lower.com field um, and you look at uh, TQL Stadium and maybe it's not the most glamorous markets uh, when we compare with the LA's and the New York's and, and Mercedes-Benz in Atlanta and so on. But just the fact that Columbus and Cincinnati have new stadiums, have really good fan bases and are still, you know, at this point, Columbus coming off MLS Cup, super competitive. Cincinnati's competitive. Um, I think that just shows how much the league has grown, and it's cool to see in the heartland. You know, similar with sporting. You know, not huge markets maybe, or not as big as you know the the coast markets, but interesting and good to see for the league that that those markets are strong, that the fan bases are good, and the, you know they have new stadiums and good teams to to root for. So, just just. A, observation or an idle thought that i had while watching um while watching this one yeah i think that's a great call i haven't been in lower.com field but i have been in tql stadium and and that was for usa mexico so obviously a a, a more heightened environment than you know a, a, you know midweek mls game for example but it, the place got rocking it's beautiful like just just on the eye it just is it's amazing um and i think lower.com is probably similar what do you have? It looks great on TV. I haven't I haven't been there either, but um, it it looks legitimately like a fun place to watch a soccer game, and and it just makes me happy that um, an original MLS franchise that got so close to to going away um, finds himself in such a, a strong place, and you can't help but wonder if your ownership of Columbus and you see a player like Zilla Ryan assist. To a player like Cucho against your your state rival in your new stadium, that's got to make you feel pretty good about the state of your franchise. So, shout out to both both franchises and and the state of Ohio, which not something I normally do, but but good on them. You no, know, one hundred percent. And I was going to mention just quickly on Ohio before we move on is like 
that this entire state, you know, the crew was the defining, you know, thing about that state. And, you know, the, the U.S. with the whole host of Dos Aceros, um in, what was it, oh, oh, uh, Map Free Stadium? Um, Free, yeah. In a, oh, a historic crew stadium, as they call it. Um, and so to see that, you know, almost go away, and then, you know, the kind of confirmation that they were going to move into lower.com field. Uh, and if you guys haven't watched the um, Copa 90 documentary about uh, the crew almost leaving, 100% worth a watch. Really interesting on YouTube. Um, it, really, really good stuff from them uh, about really just how close it was to, you know, the, the crew not being a thing anymore. Um, and then to keep it and then move into that stadium for Ohio to also gain that second team in Cincinnati. And, you know, those two places, you know, I think Lower.com Field has uh, had two qualifiers for the U.S. Obviously, TQL Stadium had the big one. Um, and just, you know, it goes to show that Ohio is as, you know, as much a soccer haven as it's ever been. Um, pretty cool to see. Uh, and as we move on from Ohio, we move on to, you know, like you said, one of those glamorous destinations, uh, LAFC. Uh, all's basically going right for them. You know, they, they've integrated Bale. They've integrated Chiellini. Um, they're first in the entire league, except the only one thing or one sticking point that might exist right now is the fact that Chicho Arango's future is kind of up in the question. I haven't, or at least I don't think I've seen anything official from really Tom Bogert, who's the industry standard. If something that he says, uh, if he says something, you know, regarding a transfer, it's probably the case. I haven't seen anything from him, but there's been a lot of speculation from a lot of those other sources that, Arango doesn't really necessarily have a spot with LAFC. The front office might not see him as part of their future plans. I'm a little perplexed by this, but Andres, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I'm perplexed as well. Um, we talked about it before before starting recording a little bit that it's not super simple to find players internationally, bring them in, and have them hit right away. It's just not something that happens that often in MLS. Um, and we've seen it with LAFC, with Brian Rodriguez, you know, not really producing at the level that they expected. Um, and we've seen it time and again um, with a lot of these, especially with the younger South Americans, now teachers are a little bit older. Um, but in general, finding guys that come in and produce right away, that live up to the hype that they, that they bring in, um, that's not super simple. And Chicho's been really productive uh, since he got in mid middle of last season, and he's really the only guy out of that whole front line that I think is most comfortable playing up the middle. Uh, I think Vela prefers to play further out wide. Uh, Bale, I think as well. Opoku, I think also. Um, so I'm surprised that this is a move that at this point they are considering making. I understand that they want to bring in a DP nine at some point. Um, but it's one of these things where if you're bringing in a bail and you're bringing in a uh, Chiellini um, and you've already got the best record, I think you don't break it at this point and maybe you wait until the offseason where you have some more time to integrate somebody, um, especially somebody that's been productive. So it's surprising to me uh, that, that's, that that's the direction that they're thinking about going. Um, so I guess we'll have to see what happens. Uh, it, it wouldn't be the move that I would make. The production is really the thing that is the catch for me. He, he's been so productive, like insanely productive at the number nine position, which we've seen like Vela can play it. Maybe Bale's going to play it too. But 
Arango's really that guy who has been, you know, that number nine that they can count on from that central position. I don't really see anybody else who I'd be super comfortable, even like I said, Vela and Bell, who are more comfortable on the outsides, let's face it. Uh, just scrolling down through their forwards, at least this um, the, the one list that's compiled, is Bell, Vela, Brian Rodriguez, Chicho Arango, uh, Kwadu Apoku, Ismail Tajari Shradi, and Daniel Masovsky. Those are all wingers, save for Chicho Arango. I think Musovsky's pretty comfortable playing up front, but I, you know, no offense to Danny Musovsky because I think he's a pretty good player, but he's not Chicho Arango level, at, at least not at this point. Um, and you're right, the rest of them are all wingers, or more, or at least more comfortable on the wing. Could Vela play in the, uh, up front? Could Bale? Sure. I, I think even Opoku could play in the middle, um, but they're clearly stronger with Arango, so yeah, that's why it's perplexing for me as well. And Musovsky's even been playing a lot of winger because Arango's been starting because he's in such good form. Like if you look at Masovsky's last couple matches, a lot of them have been on the wing. Right uh, when he played in uh, Traffico, he was on the wing. Um, I think what, what was it versus uh, Vancouver? It looks like they kind of started with two up top, and he was one of those two with Arango. But you know, whatever way you want to slice it, Arango's been maybe the most productive attacker on this team since last year, last summer range when he really broke in. There's not another player who I can look at and look at that production, even Vela, really. It's been Arango, and even in some of the bigger matches, we look at just the Trafico last week, right? He scored. So he's giving the production in basically all level of matches against all level of opponents. Even though he's 27, I haven't heard a clear plan, like, even when LAFC's like, we're going to bring in another DP forward or whatever, another DP, whatever they were saying, it wasn't like young DP, you know, you know, prospective player who we can, you know, build up or something like that. It was like, just we're going to bring another like big name, big signing, which aren't normally your 21, 22 year olds. That's your 25, 26 year olds. And Arango's 27. Like he's in that range where he's in the prime of his career. He's firing on all cylinders for this team. Why would you move on? It just doesn't make any sense. I mean, if if I remember correctly, LAFC still has a DP slot open. Yep. Um, I, so I wonder if you move on from Arango to maybe fund a purchase of a DP uh, that you want to play at number nine, but you'd have to have somebody specifically in mind for that, you would think. Um, I'm not sure. It's I am probably not making the Chiellini move either because I think they already have four center backs. Um, so obviously it's working for them, and I'm not running the team, and they're top of the table, so they're doing something right. But I I don't see the the need for the for the move here at this point. Yeah, I'm with you, and it's funny we were talking about those center backs last week. I think every center back has now basically played in the last week like it's kind of or last two weeks at most it's kind of funny um that like they basically ha- have been keeping up a five center back rotation uh, it's that's kind of ridiculous um but yeah i don't get the arango thing whatsoever we'll see if it comes to fruition we'll see if you know the wheels really start to turn on that at this point it's just basically rumors but they seem to have a certain amount of you know like substance behind them so we'll see uh and well, I guess we'll hit on a couple just transfers that have come in over the last couple of days and we'll get out of here. Just some little stuff, but you know, little transfers, I guess, is relative, but um, players that could really make an impact on their teams. And I guess we'll stick 
with LAFC just for the moment because Jason Mendez um, has just made the transfer over from Orlando City to really bolster that midfield that's already stacked. We, we talk about Cifuentes, Latif Blessing, Mendez, Acosta, and Ilya Sanchez are now really a five-man rotation in that midfield. If I'm LAFC, I'm feeling pretty comfortable about my depth right now. Yeah, and I think Mendez is probably a depth, depth piece for them. He's fallen off at Orlando um, over the last year or so. It wasn't really playing. I think, you know, if you have already a Palacios and a Cifuentes, you know, fellow Ecuadorian national team players, you think Mendes maybe comes in and feels comfortable, um, provides you some depth, some backup for an Ilie who's a little bit older, uh, Latif, I'm not sure what his personal situation is going to be. So I think it's, it's one of those insurance policies. Maybe Maybe you don't expect a ton of minutes from him right away uh, but maybe he's a death piece this year and maybe a major contributor depending on what happens going into next year when he's on his game he's a really good player i think the hard thing will just be you know breaking in in this team that's already pretty stacked like will he start over safuentes and acosta i probably i, I doubt it right no like, I, I don't think so so you know he, he basically is traded you know just as a death piece and hopefully he's able to break in because you know, we've seen him in stretches with Orlando be magnificent. So just seeing more of that. Um, I guess we'll move on to DC. Uh, you know, moving out, Julian Gressel in what seemed like a little bit of a touchy scenario. Gressel took to Twitter, or I think it was Twitter, and he was like, you found out, or Stephen Goff, I think, was the first one to report it. And Gressel's like, you found out two minutes after I did not happy he's released an interview i think in the last couple days basically detailing why he was unhappy i haven't had the time to listen to that yet but you know still really interesting stuff there and then dc also bringing in we mentioned earlier miguel berry from columbus uh i'll just kind of open the floor to you um you kind of hit on both those transfers and what do they mean for a team in dc that i believe as it stands right now uh is bottom of mls as a whole yeah, DC, what a dumpster fire, no? I mean, just in general, roster management, coaching management, player management, uh, really unfortunate because it's a team that, that opened up a new stadium and had all the hype with Lucharu going on a few years ago and just kind of basically made almost every wrong decision along the way over the last couple of years. And the Gressel, the, the Gressel thing, I think, is a, is a pretty good uh microcosm of dc united in general it didn't really make a lot of sense to bring in gressel at the time not because gressel is not a good, good player because i think he's one of the best wing backs in the whole league but because they had Ariola at the time playing that position as a dp already and so you brought him in into a system that didn't really fit then you had then you moved on from Ariola. Then you figure out you were going to play a different system now with a new coach and decided that he doesn't fit into this system either. And you trade him um, for significantly less than what you got him in, in for. And you trade him in a way that doesn't leave the player with a good taste in his mouth. And so you've basically taken a really good asset, um, bought him when he didn't fit your team for a super high price, uh, basically wasted two years of his career and then sold him off for a lower price because you decided you're going to play a different system, which isn't super defined. Um, I have my doubts about the Rooney thing lasting long term just because the way it ended last year or last, not last year, last time. 
Um, and, you know, you you fire Hernan Lozada. It seemed like it was a player personnel kind of match, personality match thing, uh, but not with any real plan afterwards. Um, and it's just happened over and over. Edison Flores didn't really work out. Michael Estrada seemed like not really working out. Um, so you haven't really hit on any of the major moves uh, over the last couple of years. And it just, you're almost starting from scratch at this point. So yeah, really unfortunate overall with DC United and and sad to see because it's such a storied franchise and such an important franchise, I think, for the league. Yeah, 100%. And DC fans are not the quietest of fans. You know, they're, they're letting us know about it. Um, bring in Miguel Berry, bring in Ravel Morrison. Um, I think that's how you say his name. Jamaican international, uh, former uh, Derby County player, which was Rooney's uh, former club that he was managing. You know, maybe trying to make a few moves, it seems like, with the Gressel money or whatever. Um, they're maybe spending some of that Areola cash, but it just doesn't really seem to be... I don't think it's going to be enough. We're talking about a team that has less than one point per game. They're on 18 points through 19 games. Andres, I think just the validation, it's not going to be enough, right? Oh, I mean, I, Barry's an interesting move. I, I don't think it's a bad move. It's it's clearly an undervalued asset right now. You're not playing particularly well with Columbus and with Columbus bringing in Cucho, it seemed expendable. So fine, that's that's a move I can I can get on board with. But you're like I said, you're, I think you're starting from scratch. You're figuring out tactically what you want to run. Um, you're you're trying to figure out how to solidify a a defense that's having a ton of goals. Um, so. Yeah, is Miguel Berry going to move the needle on this team? No, probably not. Um, they've got a long way to go to figure out where they where they want to head. Um, there's not many teams that I am ruling out right now from playoff contention. I think um, DC is one and potentially Toronto. I think we might talk about them a little bit um, soon. But DC is really one of the few teams that I'd say, yeah, you know, maybe... This isn't really the season. Um, this isn't going to happen for them this season. They need to start building towards improving the next couple of years. Yeah, I think there's a good point on Toronto. I guess we'll touch on them in future pods when we see, you know, Insignia and Bernadeschi start. But bringing in all those guys, like you mentioned, for, you know, we talked about some of DC's transfers in Toronto, really just acquiring pieces. Mark Anthony K included, which I think is a great transfer as well. Um, I guess we'll see what happens there. Um, but when those guys start to take the field, I think we can talk about that more in depth. But that's a team that's really going for it all out. DC, I think they're just basically resigned to the fact that it's not going to be their year this year and try again next year with Wayne Rooney hopefully still there and um, you know managing this team to hopefully bigger and better things, uh, maybe more worthy of that franchise's name and their pedigree. Very uh, you know, quickly, last but not least in this crazy grab bag uh, pod that we've basically done on transfers and trends. Um, Orlando, bring in uh, Nicholas, jo- Nicholas Joachini uh, from Montpellier, a U.S. international who started uh, games in the Gold Cup. Might have started the Gold Cup final. Bring him in as a winger. What do you see in this move? This is this is a move that could have potential, especially when we talk about Joachini as, you know, a, a national t- on the fringes of the national team. This is one of those wait and see for me. I think, it, it, like you said, I think it could have some potential. Or Orlando hasn't had a ton of great wing play. Um, you know, Facuno Torres not gonna not gonna give up that spot um, up front. But I think maybe he'll play opposite opposite him. Maybe where Mulraney's been playing um, recently. Uh, 
still pretty young, has a ton of experience um, in France, has some national team experience. I think he'll probably be pretty good in MLS. Uh, again, not hugely moving the needle for me, but one of those maybe under the radar pieces that, that helps along a team that's already pretty good, uh, solidify them a little bit. Yeah, um, we played for, I think it's Cayenne. I don't know how you say it exactly, um, but they were in the French second tier. So he uh, got a loan up to Montpellier um, and just really didn't play at all uh, in, the, in the last season. Um, he, he played, well, he played in 28 games, but he only started three and his minutes per game was like 18. So we're talking about a player who got very limited minutes off the bench um, for you know a team that was you know, not necessarily the top tier, I guess, of uh, Ligue 1. Um, and so for him, I think the goal is more consistent minutes. More consistent minutes um, in a country that he obviously knows. He's played for the national team. Hopefully he gets more integrated and fits in just a little bit better than he um, did in France. Because if he's able to get in, that'll mean good things not just for his career. He's still a really young young guy. He's only 21 years old. Um, so good stuff for that moving forward, uh, for him moving forward, hopefully. And Orlando City maybe start to create a little more separation between themselves and the playoff line. They sit fifth right now on 30 points through 21 games. Yeah, and so, he'll, he'll compete yeah. with Benji Michelle and, Benji Michel and, and Jake Mulraney for that spot opposite yeah. Facundo Torres. So uh, I think death piece, or, or not maybe not purely death piece, but but one of those where it's good to have competition in the club. Uh, maybe maybe helps them uh, get a, a few extra points that they maybe wouldn't have had otherwise, but I don't think it's a huge move either way. I think the key for him is a jumping off point. He's only 21. If he's able to get more consistent minutes in a league... Like MLS, it isn't a top five league, but it's respected in terms of like the transfer circles and as a developmental league, really get consistent minutes, hopefully for him, if he's able to show that he is above, you know, a Benji Michelle or something like that, um, and help this team down the, the road or the the home stretch as we get closer to playoff time where Orlando really should be in it and make their mark. So that's really the hope for him, I think, and the hope for Orlando City. And um, yeah, I, I think that's basically all there is there. So, Andres, it's been a crazy pod. We've touched on so many topics, probably the most topics that we've touched on in any pod that we've done so far. So thank you so much for joining me. Um, Listeners, thank you guys so much for listening as well. Uh, It'll be a full weekend of MLS action, including Tati Castellanos' final game. And coming up next midweek, it will be uh, the Open Cup. Uh, making its return at least one of the cor- uh, one of the semifinals, maybe both of the semifinals. Um, so super exciting stuff there as we get uh, into our you know national championship tournament and uh, league action as well. So it's going to be crazy as we uh, get in the back half of the season now, very firmly over that midway line. So much to touch on though in future pods, and hopefully you guys will you know stick around and listen to us then. So until then, uh, enjoy life, enjoy the beautiful game. And thank you so much for listening.